Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live. Talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. I'm getting more and more interested in birds because of staring at them more, given the time I now have on my hands. And this, I've mentioned, I think, the cardinal couple that seem to live in my backyard. And I'm wondering now, I'm looking at the male right now, and I'm wondering how, how big a range they have, how many other people in the neighborhood think this couple is theirs. Because <laughs> I've, they're mine. I just, I'm, I'm, I'm loving, I'm loving them. Anyway, sorry. I think I told you before that I, I sit here with a phone to my ear, waiting for a beep, and I usually have been staring out the window, and I'm involved in some sort of reverie about nature. Anyway, hi. Um, uh, thank you for for being there. If you are, and uh, it's Wednesday, I do like to note where we are in time, August 5th, Um, you know, lest you think that we are the only people living through this challenging time, uh, with a crazy person as president. Um, I think there's evidence today in a headline I saw that, you know, there, we're we're not alone in that regard. I'm just going to read the headline. I don't have to read anything else. Um, here it is, page five of the New York Times today. President of Tanzania says power of prayer has his nation virus-free. Well, there you have it. We should find out what prayer they're saying or what God they're... I'm not sure what the religion is in Tanzania, generally speaking. Might be Muslim, might be Christian. I don't know. (laughs) But he says they have no cases, which is met with obvious skepticism by some, but um, he says it's prayer. So... Those of you who make fun of, you know, the phrase, our thoughts and prayers are with you after mass shootings in America. Hey, by the way, mass shootings in America, there's been a little bit of a hiatus on that, hasn't there? Because I guess when there's so many of us dying from other causes right now, there's, but has there been one since COVID? I mean, I know there have been... (laughs) little ones, you know, like maybe six or seven people here and there, but generally people who knew each other and family-oriented. I'm talking about, you know, the lone gunman coming into a a place and, you know, mowing everybody down, a school, a nightclub, a hotel, a movie theater, a church. Has there been one of those? I don't think so. And, you know, we were pretty much doing one a week, so uh, maybe that's a good thing that's come out of... Uh, COVID-19. Somebody told me yesterday, you know how when you go off to college and uh, you start eating, you don't have your mom's cooking and instead you start eating uh, cafeteria food and whatever you want, uh, you know, you gain 
the freshman 15. Somebody has suggested that, uh, well, now there's the COVID-19. And uh, I do know a lot of folks who are, yeah, struggling with weight gain in in the course of this, I being one. Anytime you're afraid of the scale, you know, you know you're probably uh, gaining weight. I want to note uh, a late-breaking uh, obit of, um, of somebody that actually, you know, made me think of Brian O'Neill, the uh, Pittsburgh Post-Gazette <clears throat> columnist who retired a few weeks ago. And in his last column, he, he noted his uh, admiration and love of Pete Hamill. And uh, Pete Hamill has has died. Um, I think Brian's two were Pete Hamill and Jimmy Breslin. You know, both just classic New York columnists, uh, op-ed writers, journalists. Uh, they were something. Uh, Hamill wrote for, I think, the Daily News and maybe the Post pre-Murdoch. And uh, I'm not sure, was it Hamill who was really tight with uh, Jackie Onassis? I think. Maybe not. Could have been Breslin. I get them mixed up. Anyway, just want to note that uh, the New York Times uh, says its full obituary will be available momentarily, but uh, they don't have it available now. He was 85 years old and just, you know, classic. Uh, but he was also a reporter as well as a as well as a columnist, and he was a high school dropout. Speaking of high school dropouts, I saw a tweet today by uh, someone who's going to Congress, one of the new members on the Democratic side of Congress and I'm blanking on his name, uh, might have been Torres, who's, who, who, who's uh, one of the elections that hadn't been called and now, now has been, uh, but I'm not sure about that. But he was talking about the fact that he, uh, he never went to college, and now he's going to Congress, and that he's, uh, it didn't stand in his way. He became a member of the New York City Council. He said, I'm self-taught. Then he quoted Kant, which I can't do. I never read Kant. Uh, but, you know, that is true in, the, in this, you know, one-size-fits-all world that so many people inhabit. This idea that the only path to success is, uh, you know, through college. And then, you know, the ante's been upped even more. And if you don't have a master's, you can't get anywhere. It's, it is BS, but sort of, but then not simply because uh, too many employers fall into the fact that that is a necessary step. When in fact, the school of hard knocks, the school of life experience, uh, uh, the school of uh, apprenticeship, which is how I think someone learns, um, are much better in a lot of fields 
So just want to say, I'm just a stream of consciousness at the moment. Um, Where to start? I meant to bring this up. It's not a pleasant thing, but I meant to bring it up the other day. It's local. There was, and there continues to be, uh, protests, marches. There was a pretty big one uh, near me yesterday. I knew because the helicopters were back. And um, there was one on July 25th, a little over a week ago, right, uh, in an unlikely place. And when you see, you know, the one I'm talking about, you know, started in the East End. That's not an unlikely place. But Shaler is an unlikely place. Shaler, for those of you who are not from here, is a uh, suburb of Pittsburgh, and um, it's overwhelmingly white, and I would imagine overwhelmingly Trump country. That's just my guess. And a group of students, apparently, and ex-students, organized a Black Lives Matter protest on the main drag in Shaler, uh, Mount Royal Boulevard. And, um, oh, I'm going to digress because I'm talking about main drags uh, I, or whatever. I just saw that um, Squaw Run Road, is that a place? Or Squaw Run Park, Squaw something Park, is going to be renamed. I don't think the road, but I think the park or something. And you see how, you know, even the smallest little uh, governmental entities and bailiwicks are looking anew at, um, well, their nomenclature and uh, its impact on our sense of Native Americans, of black people. And uh, so that's good. Anyway, not so good. Back to Mount Royal Boulevard instead of Squaw Run, Squaw Hill, never mind. Okay, Mount Royal Boulevard. So they had a pretty, you know, pretty good turnout. And I would say it was mostly white. There were a few uh, black people who live, I guess, in Shaler. Why, I can't imagine. And um, they're lining one side of the road with signs. On the other side of Mount Royal Boulevard was a bunch of white folks, all white folks, wearing Trump gear, waving flags and howling and ridiculing these kids. A black boy was speaking and from across Mount Royal Boulevard, someone screams, go back to Africa. other wonderful chants coming from the uh, 
counter-protest. Kill transgenders. Can you imagine? Can you imagine these hateful human beings? The kids who organized the Black Lives Matter protests did not respond in kind, but continued to behave in an honorable fashion. You just got to wonder about those people. Can you imagine living a life in which the biggest force that propels you out of your home to stand on a busy street in humid and hot weather is hate? Is hate? And the need to ridicule children trying to make this nation a better union, trying to make this country live up to its promise. Can you imagine? You don't have to imagine because they're all over the place. They exist by the millions. And I will never in my life be able to wrap my head around how they get up in the morning, look in the mirror, and feel good about themselves. Cannot imagine. I've got a caller. Let's go. Hello. Lynn, good morning. It's David. Hey, David. I stay out there. Yes, it is. I'm going off as soon as I get off the phone. I think I will, too. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's Corbett country over there. Tom Corbett, the oh, the, the former governor, the, yeah, the guy that tried to shut down the libraries, um, took all the funding from the schools. You know, anywhere where there's any thinking at, that, that's bad. Yeah, shut them down. Let's get rid of them. Uh, so Corbett was from Shaler. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, uh, you know, it's uh, that's it, out it, Route Eight, right? Yes, it is. It's right above Etna. Um, yeah, yeah. And the. Uh, the big uh, uh, Glenshaw Glass Company that oh, right. has gone down in recent years, you know, was a big um, employer. Employer in the in the valley there. Do you know when I was a TV reporter a million years ago, I remember going into that factory and um, doing a piece on how on, on on what they were doing in there, and it it was it was fascinating. Yeah, it was one of the last uh, glass manufacturing companies in the area. And this area, even though it was known more for steel, was a huge glass manufacturer. Oh, Pittsburgh. yeah. It, yeah. It's, there's a lot of, um, there's a, not a thriving business in it, but um, that depression glass, um, uh-huh. you you find it all over the place in flea markets. And they have right. uh, 
they have a um, couple of big annual shows that feature that depression glass, which is very interesting. I'm, and Why do they call it depression glass? Because it was made during the depression, or what? Are there depressions right. in it? That's right. I, it's, it's, it's glass, it's glass uh, work that that was uh, produced um, in the uh, in you know between I guess the twenties and the fifties. I mean, you can get depression glass. It's not necessarily made in the depression. It's a style. It. Yeah, it's yeah. a style. Okay. And, uh, but but yeah, Blon, uh, Blon, um, um Corbett, he. Uh, he owned it up there for a while in Harrisburg. He was, you know, yeah. he was giving the frackers the, you know, all the breaks and uh, yep. bringing the the common people down that wanted, you know, libraries, schools. I mean, they're kind of important, I think. <laughs> I like, I like, I like the schools and the libraries to. Stick oh around. man, you are so old-fashioned, so retro. I got a book up there now. I'm, re- I mean, you know, I, I'm a reader. I, I'm proud to be a reader. Oh man. Yeah, well, you're a dinosaur. And Squaw Run is up there in uh, Fox Chapel. Oh, okay. Well, they're going to rename something. I don't know about the road, but they're going to ring. There's a park or something. Yeah, they got Squaw this, Squaw that, Indian that. Uh, you know, it's. Uh, yeah. I'm glad, uh, I'm glad it's coming to an end. It's. it's I am way, too. Way too long. Way too. Way long. too long. Unbelievable. Yeah. Anyway, All righty. Well, hey. That out to you. And, Okay, go out and enjoy this. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Bye-bye. Oh, just for a laugh, I wanted to to tell you about, um, you know, that interview that Trump did with um, Axios has – has just given rise to so many hysterical – uh, video bits where people have taken it and run. And um, and a lot of people watched it and, and, and had the same reaction, which is it looked like this was something that would be on the uh, late, great Emmy Award-winning uh, TV comedy Veep. It looked like something uh, that should have been on Veep, and and the guy who I guess ran the show uh, was asked about, did he see the interview? And he said, Geez. he said, um, it's he said that's why we we stopped. I guess they stopped what last year? I, he said, well, here's his quote. At the end of the day, this is exactly why we had to end the show. Oh, shut up. Excuse me. I'm sorry. Um, At the end of the day, this is why we ended the show. The stupidest, dumbest, craziest things we could think of to make this fictional president and her staff say and do. Well, we just had to bow to our betters. We were being outdone regularly. He is stupider, he says, speaking of Trump, he is stupider than a room full of the best comedy writers in L.A. can come up with. And it's it's just that simple. 
And I had said, I think early in the uh, Trump presidency, you know, he's killing satire. When reality bears all the earmarks of satire, but in fact, it's reality now. When what does satire do? And it's strange in some ways, then, what the comedians who would have done the satire do is they start trying to teach reality. So you've got, you know, Colbert and Seth Meyers and all those people who used to be, I mean, whose purpose was to satirize are are, are now like educators trying, it's, you know, you can say we fell down a rabbit hole. You can say there's just been a total flip uh, of reality and and fiction. Reality and satire. My God. It's something. Our caller had mentioned that he likes to read books. Well, I have I read a book review and I uh, I want to pass some of this on to you because I have rarely read a more rave review. And it is on a subject that I think uh, some of you who I suspect read books too might uh, be inclined to want to pick up. This uh, review written by uh, Dwight Garner in the New York Times says, I told more than one person as I moved through my days this past week that I was reading one of the most powerful nonfiction books I had ever encountered. The book he's talking about is called Cast, C-A-S-T-E like in the caste system, cast the origins of our discontents. It is by Isabel Wilkerson, who is a Pulitzer Prize reporter, winning reporter. Um, Her last book, The Warmth of Other Suns, the epic story of America's Great Migration, won the National Book Critics Circle Award, I mean, this is this is an incredible writer, and she has always focused on these kinds of issues of race in America. And the uh, the article points out that you know race in the United States is this racism and race is is just the visible agent of our caste system. And she argues that America's caste system is every bit as brutal as the caste systems that we are aware of. Well, I mean, the only caste system that most of us are aware of is the, the Indian uh, its treatment of its so-called untouchables. Can you imagine? I remember the first time I heard of it. Can you, as a kid, my God, in India, they actually, people are born into a group that are literally called untouchables. 
They are literally relegated to a life that makes it impossible for them to thrive, to rise. They are looked down upon in every way. (laughs) Tell me now, how different is that, the untouchables, than the experience of black America? Wilkerson says, look, a caste system is an artificial construction, a fixed ranking of human value. And it sets a presumed supremacy of one group against the supposed inferiority of other groups. And this is done, obviously, by a group that has the power to do it in our country, white males, right? White European males. And that all caste systems use this same thing. You set up one, your group, the powerful, as the supreme group, and then you rank other groups. And you do it on the basis, usually, of ancestry and often unchangeable traits that people are born with, like skin color, traits that would be you know, neutral in the abstract, but all of a sudden, because of this false artificial construction by the powerful, all of a sudden those traits have life and death meaning. And caste, you know, then creates a system in which it is then known who is due respect and who is not, who is capable of exercising authority and who is not. And In the book, according to the review, she makes some really unsettling for many uh, comparisons between India's caste system, but she doesn't stop there. She goes to Nazi Germany as well and its treatment of the Jews. And by the way, if you as we learn our american history do know that adolf hitler tipped his hat to america's jim crow legislation he used it it's known this is historical this is this he has the, he even spoke of it with such admiration when he wanted to disenfranchise the Jews, when he wanted, when he started his campaign to delegitimize, dehumanize, de- he looked to the United States and what it had so brilliantly done to its own people. 
black Americans. And so she goes there. Mm -hmm. The reality is, the historical factual reality is that India, that Nazi Germany, that our own America relied on stigmatizing a large group deemed inferior. And this was done to justify their dehumanization. And their dehumanization was necessary in Nazi Germany to then move on to literally eradicating them. Here in America, a little less so. It was intended to keep the lowest ranking people at the bottom. And in every way to prevent them from moving up. Now, one really interesting thing that I saw in the review is that this woman, speaking of the caste system, also Isabel Isabel Wilkerson. I didn't mean to call her this woman. Uh, she she goes to that question that. I know it's occurred to me, and God knows it's occurred to most of you, that question of why do these white working class people in America not understand that they're voting against their own interests, that they're they're voting for the people whose ranking keeps them just one little step up over the black American. But they too are held down. The ladder is greased for them too. Why do they not get it? And she says what all these people who ask this question are not figuring out was that the white working class Americans that vote against their own interests, supposedly by our by as far as we could tell, were in fact as they saw it voting for their interests. They knew they're voting their interest, and their interest is in maintaining the caste system. Because it at least kept them above black people. And didn't intermingle them with black people, which for many white Americans is like, that's something they cannot tolerate. 
having bought into the fact of black inferiority. And so she says they vote for Trump. They vote for Republicans. And a lot of them do so knowing that these Republicans won't do crap for them. And that they're willing to accept the discomfort. They're willing to not get health insurance. They're willing to have their water and air contaminated. They're willing to even die to protect their long-term interest in the hierarchy of our caste system. Amazing. I'm sure it's true. You might want to if you're into really, I apparently, I'm sure this book is amazing, Cast, they say it is not an easy book in that it makes your stomach turn. But if Americans are not willing to finally now confront our reality, then we're never going to do it. This is our moment. This is our moment. And she does suggest that America has to do something akin to what South Africa did with its Truth and Reconciliation uh, Commission. We have to finally find the courage to face our history and what it has done. And for those who still, I mean, it's just astonishing to me, who still think there is no systemic racism. There was something that just came out the other day, a study, somebody crunched the numbers. And um, in this country, and this is uh, data taken uh for, God, over 100 years. Uh, in this country, if you kill somebody who is white, you are 17 times more likely to be executed than if you kill a black person. Two lives, one's black, one's white. And apparently one is 17 times by virtue of our, yeah, of factual numbers. Here is what we did to the person who killed that person, whether they're white or black, but a white life, that's an important life. A black life, meh, not so much. And speaking of this reconciliation, God, I sure hope we we will finally do this. Because if we don't, we're we're finished. 
our only hope. There was an incredible piece. I believe it was written by Wesley Morris. I'm just double-checking here. Yes, Wesley Morris, uh, which was headlined, The Reconciliation Must Be Televised. And, and he, he, like so many others, agrees that what has happened here since that moment, since the death of one black man in Minneapolis, that galvanizing moment that for some reason brought Americans, a lot of white Americans, to finally clearly see a modicum of that reality of living black in America. And we, we know that it has, we have seen things since that we would never thought we would have seen. Right? But nothing, I mean, names are changing. Yeah, squad, squad this is gone. And uh, yeah, the Redskins are gone. So what? Because now we have to move toward obviously meaningful legislative reform. And we can't do that till we get rid of the Republicans. We can't expect a moment like this to happen again. And so Wesley Morris writes, before this moment vanishes, the centuries and conditions that produced it warrant commemoration, which I found an odd word. I think of commemoration as sort of honor, but that's not what he means. He's heading into the memory part of it. Commemoration. He says that we now need to confront and connect to our nation and its history. We need to square the present with the past. His words, this moment warrants a depth of conversation the United States has never had. We flirted with it before, but we haven't done it. Because to do what just a few countries have been willing to do, South Africa was one, Rwanda was another, Germany, after World War II, a third, is to, with open eyes, look at the organized oppression Look at the caste system we created and maintained. And if we do it right, 
it will require a fortitude that we have never shown before. Never. Morris says it'll require a pillow to wail into and a strong stomach. We made a stab at it, a little flirtation there back in 1968 when all hell had broken loose, when black neighborhoods burned, and that was the Kerner Commission. Otto Kerner was a Republican governor of Illinois, and he was the chair of that commission. And they interviewed tons of people. They were charged with explaining to the president, Lyndon Johnson, what the hell was wrong. And that Kerner Commission report pretty much nailed it. That was 1968. It said, we are hopelessly divided as a nation. We have locked our black citizens into lives of impoverishment. Even good white people were out to lunch and were consequently culpable, as culpable as the white racists and the supremacists were malignant. And the report said, 1968, among other things, that the roots of the violence demanded massive housing reform, police reform, a serious political and economic commitment to social programs, which would require higher taxes. Nothing came of it. It was too overwhelming. And anyway, all the money we had was being used to prolong the war in Vietnam. And so after 68 and the Kerner Commission... White America went to the polls and elected Richard Nixon on his law and order campaign. This is what we've always done. And if we don't step up now, I don't know that we have a shot. Wesley Morris argues that this reconciliation could take years and he then goes off trying to imagine it, and he says it should be broadcast. It should be so if you turn on the television, that's what you're going to see. So it's on the broadcast networks, and it's on the cable networks, and it's on Netflix, and it's on HBO, and it's on Disney+, and Hulu, and Amazon. You can't escape it. And it would be there to tell, finally, the horror story that we were never really taught of the American caste system. And it will, for even the 
most reluctant draws a straight line from slavery to right now. And he goes so far as to say, what would this look like? And what would, how would we do this? And he said, do we call on, uh, is it the churches or Ken Burns, <laughs> Anna DeVere Smith? Who do we do? And he says, you know, we should take the people we know, our, our best confessors who are able to listen and he comes up with names like Trevor Noah, Oprah Winfrey, Terry Gross, Katie Couric, people who excel at listening, people who Americans are used to listening to, people whose ears seem connected directly to their hearts. The listening here is really important. And so does the ability to facilitate dialogue. And that's where somebody like in Winfrey is, in fact, a master, mistress, whatever the fuck. I don't know. You need to look into Native Americans. He said maybe there should be photography and dancing and readings and music and orchestras and even comedy. Laughter would help. He says there is no shame in entertainment intended to restore, to heal, to reveal, to reframe. A belief in that aspect of entertainment is what once brought Americans to be glued to their television sets watching Roots, the third most watched program in American history. But once it was over, we didn't know what to do. His last line is this. Truth and reconciliation is a death and a birth. It is accordingly arduous, tense, procedural, affirming, and painful. The outcome actually feels secondary to the process. The ritual of it is the benefit. The moment demands that we summon the courage to finally put ourselves through it. I hope like hell we're up to it. I fear we are not. I guess I I have a call. I'm sorry, I've gone on. Uh caller, go ahead, please. 
Hello, Lynn. How are you? I'm okay. I want to go back to Glass and Donald Trump. Uh, I used to live. I used to live down in Arlington, so I spent a lot of time in the DC museums. Okay, we're losing you again. I don't know what's with your phone, but I can't hear you. Can you hear me now? Yeah. I said I spent a lot of time in the D.C. museums. Mm -hmm. One time I was at the uh, National History Museum, and there were tons of Pittsburgh glass. I mean, like multiple displays. I'm losing you. I, you know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't know. You have to get a new phone. I can't hear you. I'm sorry. I'm going to let you go. I'm sorry. I don't know what that is that you can come back for a second and then you're gone again. But you're gone. Um. Okay. I uh I have Are you aware of what's going on at the Children's Museum here? I don't know if it's been covered in whatever uh media you First of all, the vast majority of the staff was uh, laid off. I mean, there's next to nobody there. It had, uh, the Children's Museum had 175 employees uh, in the middle of March and um, 129 are laid off. And that leaves 46 employees from 175 to 46, and listen to this. Of those 46, 38 of them are managers. What the hell is, something strikes me as very odd about that. What do you need 38 managers for if there's no staff to manage? And they are overwhelmingly white, by the way. Um, An open letter by a number of these furloughed employees uh, was sent out. And wow, it um, it is an indictment of the management there um, uh, and the way they handle uh, black patrons. Um, the way they handle and or promote black staff. And it was signed by a whole ton of employees, a whole bunch, which is a gutsy thing to do, especially since the Post-Gazette reported today that they are going to, at a later date, I forget when, start rehiring. They intend to open, I believe, in, I don't know, December or January. And they're going to open up for rehiring. Well, can you imagine if you wrote, if you signed this letter of criticism of the administration? What do you think your odds are that you're going to get rehired? Something stinks 
over there on the North Shore. That is a wonderful institution and organization, but there is something rotten at its core, and the people who work there are trying desperately to get our attention. I know that my uh, city council person, Erica Strasberger, uh, upon seeing this letter, uh, asked that uh, she wanted to get in touch and speak to uh, the employees who wrote it. So the letter has gotten <clears throat> a great deal of attention, and, and let's hope that something good uh, comes of it. I've got a few more things I want to get to um, here. Good news! Who knew? I did. I forgot this. Good news. Rates of dementia are in a steady decline in the United States and Europe. Who knew? I thought we were supposed to go sky high because uh, of our aging population. But it turns out that a... A study, a strong study, it says here, um, which was published uh, in the journal Neurology, says that the dementia epidemic is on the wane in the United States. And so the actual risk for a person to develop dementia over a lifetime is now 13% lower than it was just 10 years ago. That's a that's a big drop in 10 years. Um, in 1995, a 75-year-old man had about a 25% chance of developing dementia in his remaining lifetime. That's I don't like those numbers. You're 75, you got a 25% chance that mm, your, your head ain't going to make it to the end. That 25% chance in just five years has declined to 18%. So there's just this like precipitous kind of decline. And, you know, it's often said that women are more likely to get dementia, but that is not true. They, men and women have equal dementia rates. The fact that there are more older women, women live longer uh, is why there are more women who have it. The men are dead. Anyway, they say one very puzzling thing is that this decline is confined to the United States and Europe. It is not apparent in Asia or South America or from not as great data, they don't see it in Africa. And they really don't know why that is, but they're wondering if it has to do with higher rates of smoking in the places where it's not going down. And also they're thinking maybe both Europeans and Americans are uh, controlling cardiovascular risk factors more, blood pressure and cholesterol and stuff like that. But um, according to this, it says, you know, the genetic risk factors, those cannot change. I mean, if you have a genetic risk factor, well, 
I'm sorry, but that doesn't change. So it's something in the environment in some way has occurred. And they just saying that's that's good news. Always looking for good news. The latest polls, by the way, show Lindsey Graham tied with his opponent for re-election. I, that would be the most extraordinary upset. Uh, Bree brings us to baseball. I listen to the Pirates games to get the feel of home, but lately the Pirates, <laughs> lately, drop the lately. The Pirates have been very disappointing. I think they may already be out of playoff contention, <laughs> even though the season's like two days old. I was wondering if it might be better to move them to AAA and fall in line uh, to another franchise that has the ability to win. Uh, Bree goes on to say, I uh, am also in favor of robots, radar systems, calling the balls and strikes. There's just too many air. Oh, oh I... Oh, I Sorry to go into sports talk mode, just that I so wish our team was competitive. And by the way, I think I have a family of rats in the attic. My God. I am playing your show on a speaker near the ceiling to see if it might rattle them enough to consider moving away. Ha, 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 ha. Ah, Bree. That's like, you know, when they play, like when Noriega, they were trying to get Noriega to give up and come out and with his hands up, they blasted, I forget who, Adam, horrible rock, something that he would hate at them. Are you suggesting that the sound of my voice would cause rats to scatter? Oh. Um, hang on. I just, uh, I just want to, do I have time? Yeah. Do I, I have a, do I have a call? I'm sorry. I'm guys with the callers. I'm, um, okay. Let's, let's take the call. Hello, caller. Go ahead. Hey, good morning, Lynn. Hey, hey, Lynn. I, yeah, Lynn. Um, I, I called you a couple weeks ago, and then you got me off track, and I now remembered my subject. There's a movie called Do the Right Thing by yeah. Spike Lee. Oh, sure. I don't know if you ever saw it before. Oh, sure. It's a great movie. Oh, my goodness. It's, it's, it's beyond belief. Yeah. Because like, what, you, what I get out of the movie is each one of those people are us. You see the lady looking down at the black man. You see the black man who was the drunkard. That's all of us. Each one of us are those individuals. The pizza maker, I'm a pizza maker. I'm a pizza eater. <laughs> you know, all those different, all, I'm an Italian. I can really, I just love the movie. It's a I'm great a movie. I make pizza. And it just shows, Yeah, I mean, growing up, how we talked about the blacks. We mm-hmm. presented them, but we loved them. We, they were our, our heroes. But then some people would make fun of the blacks. Like, and coming from an Italian background, some of the blacks and Italians wouldn't get along very good, which I never find the case. To me, in my endeavors in life, I've always got along with the black people better than the whites for some reason. On the different jobs I've been on, it seems like we, we assimilate more, me and the blacks, than the whites. But just the way it seems to me, because I can kind of understand where they're coming from. It's not good. 
you don't want to be black in this country. You have a choice. I mean, I'm serious. Well, in a funny way, no, you don't want to be. (laughs) But blacks are understandably proud of being black. Oh, sure. Well, understandably, they have, despite the holy hell that this country has forced them to live in, have given so much to the country in terms of culture, in terms of blood and labor and work. And I'm I'm not talking about slavery work. I am just saying black America. And in fact, I'll tell you what, the Democratic Party, Democratic Party is going to be the party of black is and but black women are going to increasingly be taking power. Black people will. And damn it, they should. That's what I'm looking forward to. Black president, black female president would be the ideal. Well, we just got it. We got so much work to do. It makes your head spin. But if people haven't seen Do the Right Thing, that is a great movie to watch. And that, thank you for bringing it up. 1989. Well, you know, the thing about race in America is, you know, all of these things could be, yeah, 1989, 1929, 1822. Yeah. It plays on and on and on. Yeah. That's why I said I kind of, I kind of assimilate with the black people more because I understand that you, as we said, we understand in the world, you know, you can see it happening. You can see people. Sure. If you're willing to see. It's not. Well, yeah. If you're willing, if you're to, willing see it, you, to hear, see. if you listen and look and observe, you can see it, hear it. Yeah. Okay. And it's, you bet you can. You know, it's you know, I work with black Muslims in a store, and you imagine that <laughs> people would be like, "Come!" I had, a, I had a person tell my good black Muslim friend that you know, one of them like like you would be told like, "Why did you kill Jesus? Or why you why you all terrorists?" And it's, you know, why did you kill Jesus? Like, that's the kind of well, that, uh, question that yeah, usually that comes at me. Yeah, Jews. exactly. Those kind of questions, and they're yeah. like, under, you know, exactly. What they, because again, we don't understand Jew, we don't understand Judaism, we don't understand Muslim faith. So we assume because we don't understand that it must be bad. Because we don't understand Judaism, you're bad. We don't understand Muslims, you're bad. We don't understand black, you're bad. Everybody's bad because we don't understand them. So we we just label them as, as so. Well, I don't well, know enough about them. Yeah, and it's lazy. But if you look and see and search and understand, you understand, right? The black people have been put upon put put upon in society so badly, institutionalized racism. It's there, and the people would say you don't see it. They're not looking. They're just whistling past the graveyard. So I don't see nothing here. Well, yeah. Open your eyes up, and you'll see it's available. It's 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 right in front of you if you look and see. But we just got each each of us individually take care of each other, take care of our families, take care of our friends, and promote love. That's all. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Lynn. Okay. Talk to you. Bye bye. We're pretty much out of time here, guys. Um, you want to hear the new numbers? <sighs> well, the new cases have been going down. You know, we were up there in the triples, and now we have been in double digits for about a, almost a week, I think. Today's numbers are 70. Although I think yesterday they were back up into the low three digits, if I'm remembering correctly, but down to 70. 
But it's the hospitalizations and deaths because anytime you have, you know, they lag behind the new cases. Um, and we will continue to see numbers we don't want to see in new hospitalizations and uh, deaths. Uh, in the last 24 hours, there were five new deaths and five, nine more hospitalizations. Um, the new cases range in age from 11 months to 94 years old. Okay. And, um, all right, well, I guess... By the way, speaking of all of that, because we know that the spike that we saw was a re direct result of bars opening up and restaurants opening up and people just saying, hey, hey, guess this is done. And yet tomorrow in Bethel Park, a group called, it's a new group called the Southwestern Pennsylvania Restaurant and Tavern Association is going to demand, well, to issue a threat, is what they say, to Governor Wolf. And they're going to tell them, Wolf, that we are standing together and we are going to open. And we are not going to listen to you. And we're going to open, not with 25% capacity, not with 50% capacity, we're opening with 100% capacity. Well, that'll be a lead story on your television news tomorrow. Amazingly, among those who uh, this was sent, the threat was sent in a letter to uh, Governor Wolf and uh, Health uh, Secretary Rachel Levine. Um, and among those who signed the letters were state legislators, listen to this, bipartisan I'm just going to do the two Democrats who signed the letter Senator Jay Costa and Senator Pam Iavino and I am shocked supposedly this new association uh, counts 200 bar and restaurant owners uh, among them. Uh, they say that they're all being punished because of a few bad actors. They want the governor to pretty much rescind most of what he has uh, put in place. And that ain't going to happen. So, I mean, I... <laughs> Just saying, whatever. So that's something uh, that'll happen uh, tomorrow. Okay, well, um, thank you. It was good talking to you today. Hey, Bree, let me know if the rats go. That would be such a feather in my cap. I have to tell you, such a feather in my cap. So you monitor it while you're listening to the triple-A pirates play, okay? <laughs> Enjoy this beautiful day, guys, 
and I'll be back tomorrow. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.